Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Hi, Matt. Nice to be with you today. I'm Mark Henderson, CEO of Laramide Resources. We're a development company in the uranium sector with significant projects in uh, USA and Australia. We're very excited about the current developments in the market, as I think there's a lot of investor interest in the sector at the moment, given what's happening uh, with the uranium price. Mark, good to have you back. I think we saw, I spoke last in uh, March, and boy, has the market moved since then. Uh, d- d- would you say you predicted it? Well, I don't think it was a it was a terrible terrible stretch that the bear market would end eventually. Um, you know, those of us that survived, and we call ourselves in the survivor group of development companies, and there's not many of us. There's probably twenty or twenty five of us. Um, you know, we thought the, the market would eventually end, uh, the bear market would eventually end, and we get this recovery. I don't think any of us thought the recovery in the spot price, particularly what seems to be what drives investor sentiment, would happen so quickly because we've effectively gone from 30 to $50 in the spot price in probably a month. And I think a lot of us thought that was the kind of price action that would take six months to a year potentially to, to achieve. So we're at an interesting moment, as I think people are kind of digesting what's happened there with the with the market. So Sprouts come along uh, with a very aggressive move and put a rather large facility, a billion bucks facility in place there. But do you think they've done everything that they're going to do and just sit back now? Or have they got more that they can um, do to help move this price along? Uh, it's hard to say. And obviously, you'd have to ask them. They, they created this vehicle to do exactly what they said they were going to do. So I don't think anybody that that uh, um, doubted them has probably has probably been quite surprised. I've actually got a prop here. I've actually got the uh, the document that they put out, which is basically a doorstopper. And uh, they they came out with the specific intention when they took over UPC to improve upon UPC and and to improve upon what Yellowcake had done, which was another um, market vehicle that was set up to basically buy physical uranium secon pounds. They they managed to tweak it in a way that it's sort of 10x more powerful than its predecessors. And I think they're probably surprised maybe at the power with which they've been able to move the spot market. They've An awful lot of pounds now have been sequestered, if you will, you know, in their vehicle. And really all that's happened is the ownership of those pounds has changed um, hands inside of a warehouse. It's a warehouse receipt. No one, not, nothing else has happened. Those pounds used to belong to traders and, and other folks. And before they did that, they I think they were probably pretty instrumental in the idea that, you know, maybe some of the developers, it might be a good idea. Hey, why don't you guys buy some pounds? A lot of people went out, raised a bunch of money, bought pounds, um, probably in the high 20s, low 30s. So a lot of the developers are sitting on a nice profit. Those pounds probably come back to the market at some point as those companies need to develop projects. But between themselves, Yellowcake, et cetera, you've probably got, I don't know, 40 million, 50 million pounds now sequestered, if you will, in inventory. The inventory has just moved around. But I think the, the Sprott inventory is way more permanent inventory. So I think the, the other side of the equation, the utilities are probably dealing with this kind of sea change that they that they weren't expecting. And they need a little time to, they're slow moving animals and they need time to probably digest what's happened. But the leverage in the business has clearly changed from the, Producers, future producers having no leverage 
to suddenly having a lot of leverage. I think it's interesting actually because there's never really, it's, we always talk about this market being opaque and no one is really certain about the size of this mobile inventory, which was you know, doing the rounds between different owners at different times. Um, do you think that this, this is obviously, you know, it's taken pounds out of the market, as you say, Sprott's not going to be selling anytime soon. That makes it a little bit easier for investors, I think, to get some sort of sense of the size of the market for the, for the first time in, in, in some time. Um, what about the utilities? The utilities are sitting on their whatever, a couple of years worth of inventory at, at the moment. They, they work at a sort of sedentary pace. They're very measured and, and, and conservative. Is this going to shake things up to the degree that they are going to have to feel that they're going to have to make moves? They're going to have to start issuing contracts um, because it's, you know, we're 50, 50 bucks ish or thereabouts today. Writing a 60, 60 buck contract isn't that far out of the realms for these guys. So we're feeling, it feels to me that they're going to have to really, um, you know, put their money where their mouth is quite soon. Do you feel that? No, I do think so. I do think the utilities will react to this by trying to get more certainty of supply on, on, from their side. I mean, just to put these numbers in context, you talk about two years of inventory, which sounds like a lot, but it's really not given the, the lead time of the business cycle that they're in with both building plants and just creating a fuel rod. It's probably, you know, three plus years from the time the uranium comes out of the ground to be in a finished fuel rod. So it's two years basically tomorrow. Um, you know, they're not the type of folks who panic, but if there is a panic, it's a slow motion kind of panic that'll, that'll be going on, unlike maybe what you're seeing in that gas and things like that where you clearly get visibility right away on the price and there's things you can do about, you know, drilling new wells and stuff and sort of trying to bring new supply on time. It takes a long time to bring new new supply on. So I, I do think there'll be lots of conversations about how to get um, things back into balance. And you might see things this cycle that are different because I do think the contracting cycle is probably going to be quite a bit different than the last time we had a bull market where you had many more um you know, Western utilities, uh, investor-owned utilities, as opposed to nation-state players, where, where the big demand now is in China. And it's also, A, it's big, and B, it's kind of nation-state driven. And those folks tend to be much more interested in vertically integrating and understanding how they're going to have supply over a long period of time. So they end up owning, like, say, in the case of the Chinese, you know, they own HUSAB. They own their own mine with the theoretical capacity of 15 million pounds a year. So, they, you know, they start every year thinking, well, there's 15 million of our, let's say, 50 million pounds that we need. I mean, the whole market, I think, is more or less 180 million pounds a year of demand. Now, that had been met in the past by inventories and secondary supplies and other kinds of things. But I think you put that 40 million pound number that I mentioned earlier into context, that's about a quarter of a, you know, maybe a quarter of a year if we were relying solely on new mine supply. It's, it's, it's interesting. So if we say that 60 bucks thing isn't that far out, you know, out of the realm, uh, now, given the way things have moved in the past few weeks, it seems bizarre to talk about weeks in the in the sector. Um, some companies are going to need to step up. Some companies who have been talking the we're a developer again and we've got X pounds on the ground over here are going to find themselves well, I, I guess under pressure from their shareholders to say, well, you said you, you said this would be economic at sixty, so go get those contracts prove that what you've been saying is right. Do you think all of them are going to be able to do that? Oh, I got a high enough price. I mean, I think all of the companies that I referenced earlier is kind of being in that in that survivor group. And, you know, you, you, you know the power that the ETFs have had. And the ETFs, if you look at the composition of the ETFs, that pretty closely mirrors 
what I call the survivor group. And that's people that had projects that were good enough that, you know, they knew one day they were going to produce. And so those projects all produce at some price and at some scale. And to me, that's all, the next stage of the market's all going to be about how those projects fit in to the market going forward and in what kind of logical sequence. And so the smaller ones maybe that we're talking about that were kind of offline because they've got a plant and care and maintenance or something. Yeah, they're relatively small. They're, they're not, they're, they're barely going to dent the spot market. You bring on an ISR thing and a million pounds a year, it's immaterial really. And it's, and in a way you kind of wonder why do you even need a contract? Because, you know, it's 80,000 pounds a month. Like if you can't sell 80,000 pounds a month into this market, you know, you can't, you know, you really shouldn't be in the business probably because if you don't have confidence that we're like 45 to 50 is the new, is the new floor price. I mean, I don't think there's a lot of risk for the people that have those kind of projects to think, Hey, 45, 50 is the new, the new floor price. And let's just get at it. There was a company in the last cycle that did just that. They, they were, they were de facto the spot market because they just produced, they just built their thing, put it in production and sold them the spot market every month. And they got, I think they averaged the highest price of everybody because they had no contracts. I think there's a salutary lesson from the last cycle. Someone who did that and it didn't kind of work out for them. So that's the game you play, trying to work out what's the best model for your, for your company. The point I'm getting to, Mark, is you, 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 you've been around this space uh, before you've seen what's happened, where it's worked, where it hasn't. Is it, I wonder if there aren't companies now that are valued quite highly compared to what they've actually got and what their actual ability uh, to produce pounds is. Like, you know, because the, 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 it's, it's great talking of the game, but when you've actually got to, you know, the rubber hits the road and you've actually got to produce those pounds, it's a different set of economics come to bear. And, you know, the kind of the, the tide going out scenario, and let's see who's, who's, who's wearing shorts and who's not, it, it is something that I, I think in a few instances looks like It'll be interesting to see how that plays out for some companies. That's where that's where you're sort of you're, you're sort of speaking evaluation. That's not really my call. Would I, would I say that all these companies that have projects that are developers can they all develop those projects and produce at some cash cost per pound? That's probably now below the, what the new level of the spot price is going to be. Pro- probably so. Where the market ultimately decides to value those is another story. What a lot of those companies don't have actually is they most. Very few companies have any kind of pipeline of, uh, you yeah. know, like gold companies typically have lots of pipeline. They have growth projects, et cetera. There isn't a lot of that in uranium, partly because the reason there's so few companies in the sector is there's so few deposits. And not, so that's interesting, but I haven't really discussed that before. So basically, uranium companies don't tend to have big resources. Is that, is that that's what you're saying? No, not resources, but typically the minute you the minute you turn on mine number one, you know, the, the shareholders are always like, what have you done for me lately? They're already on to my number two. In many cases, most most of these companies are kind of single entity companies, really, gotcha. if you look at them. I mean, I'm talking about the projects. They might have a few other things in the hopper, but typically, really, I think the market has largely discounted the ability of maybe some of those um, secondary projects to ultimately be producers, whereas it's very typical. I mean, in any other parts of the natural resource cycle, typically there's very few one asset companies that just say, we're just going to go build this, mine it out, and then we'll decide to do something else. And it is a bit of a function of the fact that really there aren't that many deposits. I mean, uranium is kind of ubiquitous in the earth. It's crustal abundance, et cetera. 
but it doesn't aggregate into commercial deposits very well. And so, and it's not for lack of looking like we had a massive boom in the seventies. So a lot of these projects, including ones, you know, the one we have in the U S these are legacy things that were drilled up by oil companies in the seventies. And we had a massive boom where every geologist in the world was doing nothing but looking at uranium, you know, and then we had a market from what? Oh, three to 07. And we took the uranium price from seven to $135. And there was quite a lot of people looking. I mean, there was an awful lot of things where people were taking other things that had a sniff of uranium and putting in a public company. And we probably had some excesses, but there was some good honest tries made about trying to find some new deposits. And, you know, what did we find? I think we found HUSAB and a couple of others. And, you know, the next gen deposit and the fission deposit and the ISO deposit were all found in the bear market, interestingly enough, right? So that was good science and, you know, kudos to them for, for doing that, but it's not easy to find things. Yeah. So I do think one of the aspects of this coming bull market is going to be Greenfield is going to matter. It's going to be interesting. There's going to be companies that are going to get rewarded for good exploration and good location. And the, I mean, the other, the other thing that's going on at the moment, just thinking back the conversation we had with regards to utilities is at the moment, I don't know about what's happening where you are, but we're experiencing higher energy prices. In fact, problems with, with energy, not, um, well, you've probably seen our uh, uh, run on fuel, like car gas, as they call it in North America. But more, <laughs> more, more importantly, people are talking the language of nuclear being part of the energy solution, just in terms of pure supply, let alone the green factor. There's the, the green factor is you know, almost secondary at the moment because we, we, we're, we're struggling, quite frankly, to get the energy levels that, that, that we need at the moment. So the, I think the narrative's changing. I just wonder how that affects the utilities, thought processes, wherever they may be in the world. And I, I, don't, I don't know, I, we've seen blackouts in Texas and, and other places in the US as well. So it, it's coming to bear at the moment. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on how that influences utilities decision-making? Well, I, I had thought that for a while now that nuclear was going to get a second look, partly because of all the climate concerns and the ESG mandates and what have you. So we were making nice, slow progress on that. And you could see it start happening. And, you know, one day BlackRock's going to bless it and that kind of thing. And and then what's happened now is you, you've got this, um, you know, it's nice that coincidentally it's happening at the same time the spot price has gone from 30 to 50 and people are actually looking at nuclear as an investment. But we've kind of been sleepwalking into this energy crisis that's like suddenly burst upon us. And I think it's going to cause people to have to really take a hard look at, um, you know, how, where is all this energy produced, you know, both for electricity and fuel and transport, you know, and what are our real options, particularly if the, the, the movement towards phasing out coal continues and it's hard to see that not continuing over any kind of medium term horizon. So I think from that standpoint, nuclear by default is almost going to be back in the conversation in a way more meaningful way than people probably thought a couple of months ago. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I say, you, you, you know, it's an easy conversation to say, well, let's get rid of that filthy, dirty coal-based energy We're going to re- and we'll replace it with, I don't know, renewables. But, you know, that takes a lot longer than I think people re- recognize. And I think that certainly we've seen conversations in states where I think the some of the utilities are getting extensions to current reactors and because uh, people are not liking the blackouts that are, that are coming. Hey, well, look, um, enough of this market stuff, but I do appreciate your thoughts and insights on that. Let's talk about what you guys have been doing. So we obviously spoke in, in, in March 
Um, you've acquired the Murphy Uranium Project from Rio uh, as well, which I, which I want to talk about. But I think in terms of helping investors understand your thinking, your current thinking, given the change of data, the new variables in, in the, that are at play here, is can you help us understand your priorita prioritization of what's important to you, which projects come first, where money will be allocated, um, and, and gives a sense of, you know, that, you know, things are, well, help us understand if things are moving forward or are you still in a sort of hunker down and sort of see what happens, mate? Where are you at? No, no, we're, uh, we're getting the car out of the garage now. You know, it's time to get rolling down the road. And, you know, part of that was the things we wanted to do. We would have started a little sooner because of COVID. We had a little, um, trouble in Australia, which you probably followed all the issues with Australia. It's been very strict with lockdowns and things like that. And then that was when they never really had COVID. And then, Lo and behold, they actually got COVID and before the vaccines were really, you know, adopted widely. And so now they've sort of had COVID 2.0 and we're coming out of that now. It looks like we think we're just about there on all the approvals. We need we're just formalizing what we need to get on the ground. So we really want to be on the ground here before the, you know, the current season ends because it's up flipped upside down. So kind of by the middle of December, the, you know, you're kind of weathered out from heat and humidity and rainfall and things like that. So we hope to get in there and run programs on both projects. Murphy and on Westmoreland, where we've got some interesting targets. And obviously, we have expansion capability there, but we just kind of stop. What, what, what do you mean, feet on the ground? What do you mean, feet on the ground? Because obviously, we talked about um, Westmoreland previously, and obviously, you know, Labour government in that particular state, Queensland, uh, near Queensland, uh, is is not necessarily pro uranium in, in any way, shape, or form. Um, but Murphy is the one that kind of interests me particularly. Sorry, has anything changed from that regard in, in, in terms of Westmoreland? Well, Westmoreland, for, the, for those of your audience that don't know it, I mean, it's a big, important, you know, almost sh not shovel ready. With permits, it would be, and money, it would be shovel ready. But technically, we don't really need to know anything more about it. It doesn't right. really need to get any bigger, et cetera. Would it benefit from being adding 20 million pounds to it and then going to the Queensland government saying, hey, you know, we got this big, important thing there. You, you might want to have another look. Now, we obviously didn't do that in the bear market and when your when your rating was $30. But the other the other thing that's happened on top of all the energy crisis thing that's burst upon everybody is Australia last week or the week before just made this big deal with submarines you may have seen, right, with nuclear submarines, okay, which they're going to build in Adelaide. And so the nuclear power, nuclear powered, we need to distinguish for Australian folks. Well, they're going to have nuclear and they're going to have nuclear submarines that are going to get built there and they're going to dock there. No nuclear missiles is the point I'm making is what the Australians are keen for everyone to realize. No nuclear missiles, just nuclear powered. It has surfaced the dialogue in Australia already about yeah. nuclear power. Yeah. And if they ever get to where they want nuclear power, these, these outlier, these two states that say we don't like nuclear, we're not going to build uranium mines, look more and more anachronistic. And so there is some potential that the parties themselves go, this is a policy from yesterday. It makes no sense. Let's move on. But, you know, we're hopeful on that. We'll see what happens. Um, the other thing is obviously they're not the permanent government of Queens. And so at some point, just like in 2012, there'll be a different government and we can go build it. Okay. So, so there's a value to that. There's a value to Westmoreland. It just won't be recognized until there's either a change of local government or state statewide government um so you you're not going to spend too any too much money on that one but we are aware of the no. size and potential of that can yeah. we can we talk about murphy because obviously you were a partner with rio they said hey come and take us out 
what do you think you've got there? Because he did that deal at quite a nice time as well. Yeah, 30 bucks. Well, we were saying quite a long time ago. Yeah. We were on our JV side. We, not much happened. And then I think 2017, 18, we, we, we cut a deal with them and we bought them out now. And they have a back end on a billion dollar discovery. And there, it's basically all the extension of all the good geology in that belt as it goes off to the west, southwest. And there's obviously high potential to find another uranium deposit analogous to, to Westmoreland there. So we're keen on that. We've done all the airborne. Basically, the next stage is go ground truth it and drill holes. And that's kind of the stage that we're at. We had to get a bunch of approvals to, to do that phase of the program with the Aboriginal groups that are involved. It's a very, it's a very uh, uh, formulistic process there in Australia with how that all works. And so it was a little bit hampered by COVID, but we think we're through that now. And so we're going to be back active on the ground. And also people, the investors, for whatever reason, they like news flow. So, you know, we're going to go give it a crack and it's a great piece of greenfield real estate. So I think, you know, should we find anything over there? I think people would get pretty excited. So um, Northern Territories, different state from Queensland, they're, they're fine. They, they issue permits, licenses. Yes. Right. Yes. Okay. The Ranger mine, the Ranger mine was obviously, which is any ERAs there and produced for years and, you know, Rangers sort of closed now. I mean, they say they're closing it. So Right. But I mean, there's obviously good good potential there for more pounds. If you look at where could all the supply in the next 20 years come from or 30 years come from. Okay, so so Australia, so in terms of moving that forward, I mean, how much money are you going to be throwing at that? How much money do you need to throw at that? Oh, I think the expiration to start with. I mean, this year, if we squeeze, and we do have some commitments. So to keep our tenements in in all these places, we need to spend a bit of money on the ground anyway over a you know five year horizon, say. So you know we're going to do that. And, but this, the first program, I mean, if we spent a million dollars this field season, I'd be surprised, but we get a decent amount of drilling out of that. And, you know, we'll probably, you know, we'll see what we get for results, but, you know, we're drilling, we're drilling targets that are, you know, targets where we expect to hit. Right. Certainly on the Westmoreland side, it's going to be a little more um, first pass in, in uh, the territory. Okay. How much money, how much money, how, how much data did you actually get from Rio? I mean, I guess you've had access to it the whole time, right? No, no, there wasn't, that was a piece, that was a piece of ground. There wasn't much um, data on that at all. What it was is that Rio had held that ground um, under, a, <laughs> under a process where they were sort of allowed to, to say, well, we've, we've secured this, but we're not moving towards actually taking it to any, what's called an EPM. See, in Australia, you can't go get your expiration license in, in areas that are, that have Aboriginal influences or where they have, where they have to do agreements with the Aboriginals without getting that agreement formalized. So you can sort of slow walk what you're doing going forward saying, well, we're not quite ready. And, and so they never took it to title. So what happened, part of the deal, what we did with them was let us go do it. We had a relationship next door with different Aboriginal groups that they were quite pleased with in, in Queensland, you know, and that Aboriginal group in particular was advocating actually for our project for nuclear power, et cetera. And so, you know, we were able to go, we took it to the EPM and then we started the process and we've done the logical sequence of expiration that you do, particularly in Australia where, you know, there isn't much surface expression of things. So you got to go do airborne and that kind of thing. And so we've done all that and we're ready to get to the phase that most investors care about, which is tell me when you're going to drill some holes and, and hopefully make a discovery of some kind. Right. Okay. So, so that, that's where that project is. So again, so fairly early tours, not, not, not quite greenfield, but but that, that 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 sort of end end of the scale. It's greenfield. I mean, we haven't found anything yet. <laughs> right. Okay. What um, with, with with the US? 
obviously, you know, we've we've talked in the past about you know a nice small perfectly formed project which you can can get up and running and get some revenue flowing. That that, that you know we talked about that and you know also um, at the moment in the market people are looking. Anyone who's got an ISR project is obviously going to be taken out by Encore. So those are the conversations happening out there. So what, what, can you give us an update on how you're approaching the US? Assets you got you've got two you've got the Sal and Church Rock uh, and and Crown Point projects. So what what's happening with those? Yeah, we actually have I get we actually have Church Rock and, and Crown Point are really one project. That's an ISR right. project that's got an NRC license. It needs the final state license. We are moving now finally to get the the work we need done to put the application in for that for that final permit. There was a uh, effort made as part of that whole. 232 American security of supply that morphed into the, whatever the Trump thing was with the uranium reserve, which who knows if that goes anywhere or not now with the price being higher. But there was money set aside in the budget for some of these little studies on various things, one of them which is particularly applicable to what we need. And so, of course, we've applied for this money and we're waiting to see if we get this grant because obviously if we could be partners with the Department of Energy in some fashion, and you know, it may facilitate the whole process going forward. So we're waiting we're waiting for an answer on that. There, it's We were due about a month ago. We haven't heard. If we don't get it, if we don't secure that grant, we'll just go and do it ourselves. And then we'll start the, the permit process for the final uh, New Mexico permit that we need, which is a groundwater restoration permit. And we, the, we, the folks we bought this from, which was URI now, Westwater, they had that permit, but they changed the standard. And so we now have to re permit it to a low, to a higher standard of of what the what the remediated site looks like in terms of the quality of the water etc even though obviously it right had a lot of uranium in it to start with okay and then to the to the question of all sorts of conversations and rumors about encore rolling up all isr assets and you know rinse and repeat um, have you had any conversations with them or anyone else about offloading that? Or are you going to you going to take this thing into production? No, no. I mean, I think we, we we're on a pretty good path. I mean, the Encore actually, they have part of their Crown Point thing is in our NRC license. But I would think it'd be more they would have to come to us and say, "Can we do something?" Because we have the right to build a plant. We have the right to build a process plant as part of that NRC license at Crown Point with a three million pound capacity. That's what I mean. So, val- you could be quite valuable. So. That's what I'm saying. Is that- no, we have a lot of we have a lot of valuable assets. I mean, we don't even talk about this Lahara Mesa asset, right, in New Mexico, which is a hard rock thing that we're probably 80, 90 percent permitted. Um, Homestake permitted it twice before in the 80s. And it's really something that needs a mill. So the problem in New Mexico is all the mills were torn down. There used to be seven hard rock mills in New Mexico. They were all torn down. And so if we really do have a renaissance of some kind, which is what they were talking about in the last cycle, a nuclear renaissance. There's going to be another, there'll have to be another hard rock mill probably built in the United States, probably obviously in New Mexico, because that's where there's a couple of hundred million pounds of legacy hard rock resource. You know, part of the, part of the, the, it belongs to EFR now and EFR, there was a bunch of complicated land swaps that were done before we bought church rock. But one of those was that they swapped EFR with a piece they had at Church Rock for what they had at Roca Honda. And Roca Honda fits nicely with uh, La Jara Mesa because it's a, it, you know, for scale, because you really kind of want to build a mill that's probably 3 million pounds a year again, something like that, three or 4 million pounds a year, because they, we could, you could theoretically truck La Jara Mesa to Blanding, but it's 200 miles. And so the other thing we have, which is La Salle, which you referenced briefly, that's a thing that's permitted 
it's 55 miles. It's probably the single closest thing to the landing mill, but I'm not sure what, what Mark and EFR's focus is going to be on now that they've, you know, they've gone all in kind of on this rare earth thing, which seems like a pretty smart thing to do. And in terms of the access to the plant, any kind of in the near term, because I, I, you know, I don't know the ins and outs of how, what they're doing with the rare earth processing is working vis-a-vis having any other capacity for, you know, these hard rock projects that ultimately will go through there. I think we all kind of want to see $60 for those sort of projects to make any money. Yeah. I mean, that's what they were advocating. I think if you go back to the 232, I think the $65 number was or $65 price was the magic number to, to get American production. Yeah. It's, I think it's we, we spoke to him. I think we spoke to him yesterday. That, that's, that's, okay. Yesterday. Um, oh, and to Mark, you mean? Yeah. 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 And, uh, I think what yeah the rare earth congratulations on that I think that's a super smart move I agree with you on that one but the on the on the uranium side I think they've they've just done a deal with um, consolidated uranium obviously to yep. help with the projects which they've sold them but also um, process them through White Mason I think they will will have to be well it makes sensible if there are conversations with others about processing at White Mesa but you know if you've got the ability to build a plant you know a on your project, that's really valuable to someone. Someone with deep pockets, with multiple assets, um, and and you know, you know that there can't be that many people really that would be able to do that because these things aren't cheap to build. They take a little bit of time, and you need to then feed them. So, I mean, do you think there are likely candidates for that, or you know, is it going to be you? Well, the. We, I think we're, we're mixing up plants possibly there. We're talking about the, the thing we can build at Crown Point is really an ISR recovery plant. Sorry. And there's I, a number. I thought you were talking. There's a number of those said, already obviously around yeah. the United States. I don't know about building this other mill. Logically, I think what you really need is a big enough resource base. Got it. Under one structure, whether it's a JV structure or one any one company or whatever it is, however you decide to put it together, that says, hey, we have 100 million pounds. We're going to go do this because it makes sense and we can see line of sight to where we're going to get paid for it because the American utilities have gotten behind it and given us X, Y, Z. I mean, that's one thing that could happen with the current cycle is everyone's assuming it's contracts, but it may look a little different about how we get future supply. I mean, I think what really has happened is we're, we focus on the fact that, wow, we need future supply. And it's not just the next five years or 10 years, you know, you build these new plants, turn them on, you got 60 years of fuel you need. And so you know the, the 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 other side of the buy side, if you will, the utilities. They really didn't. They don't really haven't thought about that in really for most of their existence. They for most of the time it's been a buyer's market. Then the whole civilian nuclear age, and then we have these periodic periods of time where they go, "Wow, where do we get this stuff from, and what do we do about it?" Great. Okay. One. Well, thanks for clearing up. So it's ISR, ISR recovery plant you were talking about, not some. Ability to build, okay, for hard rock, great. Um, with the ghost yeah, buyer's market versus seller's market, it, it definitely starting to smell a little bit like a seller's market for the first time in, in a long, long time. Um, do you think that, I mean, what, what's, your, what's your take on the, on, on the market moves now? Price at 50, usually fourth quarter is a time when 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 um you know utility buyers get together i'm not quite sure if they they weren't able to at wna but um do you think that they are talking out there there'll be a kind of collective move um and and are you seeing any conversations to do with any of your projects i know you're kind of early days but are they kind of sniffing around to try and work out 
who's got what. Our narcissist's probably a little bit early for that. I mean, I do I do think the obvious next market signal, if you will, or something that will land on the market and the market will then have to digest it is Cameco will obviously bring MacArthur back on some timeline. Finance or not finance, but you know the the the, the cash flow from that supported by some sense of what price they're going to get for what they're going to sell and to whom and everything else. And, and so I think that until you see that happen, I think the real, if you want to see the market move up dramatically through that, I think the market's probably waiting to see what happens with that. Um, and obviously if the market can absorb that and doesn't wobble at all at 45 to $50, clearly there's room for it to go higher because obviously we need that those MacArthur pounds back in the market. And obviously the other, the other big players the, of the duopoly is Kaz Adam Prom. And, uh, you know, they sort of have been the OPEC of uranium, if you will, where they claim it's unlimited and they can just turn a dial or something. And whether that remains to be seen, whether that can, whether they, a, they want to do that and they just want to have market share, they've moved to this more of a profit model because they're public. And the, so whatever they say about what their capacity and what their plans are matters a lot to the market. But at the end of the day, I think they're going to be, you know, what always causes the price to move up. And that's what you're seeing in other forms of energy now is everybody's producing flat out and the market's still going up. And so that's, I think, the market that we're headed to in nuclear. It looks like the market that we're headed to in some other forms of energy here, maybe including, you know, oil, you know, nat gas a little less so because there's probably you can get that market back under control a little more easily. Uh, it's a little more short cycle, but, you know, energy's tight. So your company, Laramite, you've, you've started moving the, the chess pieces forward. You think it's time to do that. You've had a great reaction. I mean, crikey, your, your, your share prices for, for, for effectively not doing a lot. The market's done a lot of heavy lifting for, you know, the uranium uh, equities um, you know, of recent times. Um, is that going to allow you to go and raise some cheaper money to actually start moving these chess pieces for a little bit more rapidly? Well, yeah, actually, that's a good question, Matt. So we, because we, you know, we were constantly had people wanting to finance us, finance us at lower prices. We basically had just gotten rid of all the dilution that we did take at lower prices. And that was really the financing plan. And so a whole series of warrants and other things have, have basically come in and been exercised to and we've still got some more of that to go. Every warrant we own is in the money. We have some convertible debt out in 2023. That's now deep in the money as well. So I think at the end of the day, we'll first, the cap structure of the whole company will be cleaned up to where it looks super clean and there's nothing ahead of it. And probably before we get to that point, probably not going to raise any money. We've got 5 million or so now. I think when all this other warrant money, everything comes in and there's another $12 million that comes in off that. Um, so we don't really need to raise any money per se. I mean, at the moment. Um, and I think obviously if we got closer where we had a real purpose of proceeds that was near term, obviously we, we look at it differently. But, you know, I, I, you know, we obviously think the market's going a lot higher. And the universe of uranium names, which is probably, I mean, at one point it was less than GameStop. I mean, I think we're at GameStop's market cap now or something, maybe a little bit higher, you know. So there's, there's room there for the whole sector, obviously, to move up. We're in all of the ETFs. You know, we think probably over time, I would expect our weighting will go up a little bit in the ETFs. Um, and so it's a, it's in a, we're in a pretty good place. I mean, there's lots of, it's just starting when the cycle starts too. There's, you know, we, last time we talked, 
I, you know, there was really no, not much interest from the street, analytical coverage, et cetera. That's kind of a thing that happens as the market moves forward. And so we're starting to see that happen now more. There's companies that are, have obviously revived their interest, you know, for their clients in the uranium space, and they're putting analyst coverage on it and things like that. So I think you got to let a lot of this stuff happen a little bit. As we, we said before, this whole move from 30 to 50, is like, it happened very, very quickly, quicker than I'm sure everybody in the, all the people, folks you interview, I mean, they all probably all said, Oh yeah, similar something similar. To what I'm saying they're all still undervalued. Don't worry, they still get. Well, still get undervalued, <laughs> but they, whatever happened, it happened way quicker than we all thought it was going to. Happen. No, no, it's true. No, my point is, even though it's get most a lot of companies are up here three, four times, uh, well, ten times, and in a couple of instances, they'll still tell me they're undervalued as they should. And just just very quickly, because I'm, I'm fascinated by your market view because you've been there and seen it and done it. Um, with regards to what what happened last time out, we saw a huge deluge of companies, as you, you mentioned earlier, just say, who's got any aspect of uranium to the project, it's a uranium company because you could go and get raised money for that. This time round, you know, despite the recent sentiment rush from, you know, generalists of just, just noticing this thing, do you think we're going to see that same sort of behavior? We're going to get these sort of sentiment type companies trying to, you know, insert themselves into the, in, into the euphoria and raise money off the back of that? Or is there just a little bit more caution? No, I think capitalism will prevail and the, <laughs> you will have companies that it's a bull market. And if they can latch on to something that looks like it's going to work, you know, let's have a stab at the Athabasca Basin, which, you know, there's an awful lot of acres out there. And so there'll be, there'll be some of that. I mean, I think what happened the last time though, is because what I mentioned earlier, where a lot of these brownfield properties were, were really legacy things that were drilled out in the seventies. A lot of them had no data. It was pre-internet. Your ability to go say, well, I'm going to do some research on what this is all about was less than it is now. Plus we've had a cycle where all of this stuff surfaced out of everybody's, every major's filing cabinet, every old oil company database, et cetera, et cetera. So there's going to be some of that. There'll be less of it just because of that. And just because, as I said earlier, there just really aren't that many uranium deposits. And most people would really, we're already at a place in the price now at $50 or 45 or wherever we're at, where it's going to be very hard. If you had something valuable, you'd probably it'd be in the process of getting surfaced or the price for you to trade that to somebody else is going to be quite a high price. So they're not going to be, they're not going to be people that have a vision about what's going to happen because it's already happened. So whatever they're paying, I don't know, from a financial reward standpoint to go buy a brownfield thing that looks like it might work would be much more expensive than it was six months ago. Brilliant. Appreciate that. Uh, Mark, as always, an education. Um, and thanks for very much for letting us know how you are moving your project forward. Um, Stay in touch. Let us know how you, how you move things forward. I'm intrigued to see if you get that grant through from the US between now and Christmas, and if not, what you'll do. But maybe you'll come back on and tell us. Yeah, no, sure, sure, Matt. I always enjoy talking with you, and I'll look forward to uh, having another chat maybe in a couple of months when we see how this whole thing uh, evolves. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and, of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.